Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, if you went through the Torah portion reading, there's there's a lot of things that don't sound very exciting, like looking through and figuring out how to you how do you determine if someone has uh, tsara'at or leprosy, and how it can be in a person and in garments and in a building and all kinds of things like that. So it's it's a really interesting uh, portion, but there's there's a lot that we can glean out of it. In fact, more than we could ever cover in in one in one setting. But first, what we'll do is we're going to go to Leviticus twelve one through eight. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, instructing, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she will be unclean for seven days. As in the days of her separation, she will be unclean. In the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin is to be circumcised. She must wait during the blood of purification for thirty-three days. She is not to touch any holy thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she will be unclean for two weeks, as in her separation, and she is to wait in the blood of purification for 66 days. When the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. He is to present it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she will be cleansed from the discharge of her blood. This is the Torah for her who gives birth, whether to a male or a female child. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she is to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Then the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now, this passage uh, is also related to a passage from Luke. I'm just going to go straight over to that in Luke 2, 21 through 24, after the birth of Yeshua. The scripture says, when eight days had passed for his circumcision, he was named Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification were fulfilled, according to the Torah of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present to the Lord. As it is written in the Torah of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the Torah of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Right. So from the readings of these passages, of course, we see they're they're related in the Torah. There was instructions given to uh, a woman in in after childbirth and her period of cleansing from from contamination and then the the blood of purification and then bringing an offering to the Lord. And the offering that was brought was a lamb and a and a dove. Okay, and the the dove was for a sin offering, and the lamb was for a an elevation offering or a burnt offering. And then they said, if you don't have the means, then you could bring two doves, and they would both one would serve as the sin offering, and the other as the elevation offering. So, from the reading uh, that we just had in Luke, there's a couple things that we could discern about the fan about Yeshua's family. One is that. They were Torah observant, right? They 
they did everything that was according to the law of Moses. And then the second thing is that they couldn't afford a lamb, you know, so they weren't a, a wealthy family. They brought two doves instead of the, the lamb and a dove. So just an, an interesting thing there where as we're reading through the scriptures, you know, if, if we don't know all the terms of, of the Torah, then we, we miss out on something in particular about we just learned something about the family of Yeshua, that they were not a well-off family. So neat little thing there about making the connections between the Torah and the, and the apostolic scriptures. Now, you know, from, from the scripture that we just read, in the case of the childbirth, it was either a seven-day period or a 14-day 14, 14 period regarding the, the contamination cleansing, depending on if it was a boy or a girl. And then the scripture said that they were clean or they were cleansed after that point, but they still couldn't go into the temple or eat any of the sacrifices. They had to go through another 33 days or 66 days for their for their purity. And then they could come and bring their offering. So what's interesting is we, we spoke last week about when when there is a, people are ritually unfit, they can't come to the temple, right? Because there's some contamination of death on them. And so that has to be cleansed so they can then come into the presence of God who is life. And so now if, if after these seven days or 14 days, she's been cleansed of contamination, is no longer unfit, then why can't she come to the to come to the temple yet? Well, it's an interesting thing. Um, and we may not have exactly what the answer is, but there's this next period called the blood of purification or the days of purification when there is an additional cleansing that's taking place and a preparation for coming into the presence of the Lord and bringing the offering. And so within the process that we see, we see that there was a contamination and then there was the removal of the contamination in that first period. And then there was a process of purification in the next time frame, followed by ultimately restoration, okay, and bring, being brought back into the presence of the Lord. And, and the last verse that we read from, from Leviticus stated that the, the Kohen, the priest, will make atonement for her and she will be cleansed, right? So the restoration came when the priest provided that atonement. Now, with the aspect of having two periods of cleansing from contamination, sorry, I had to take a break there to bring up my sidebar so I could see if anybody raised their hand, but you're welcome to, uh, you're welcome to raise your hand through the app, or if you have any questions or comments, you're welcome to just jump in. Uh, now, so we're, with reference to these two periods of the first removing the contamination and the second, the purification, the sages talked about how the removing the contamination was not completion. That was a good thing. It was needed. It was the first step in the process, but there was something more than just removing the stain of contamination. And then there was a purification to come. And specifically, I read this commentary that said, the mere absence of contamination is not yet the fulfillment of man's goal. Human aspiration must rise higher than the elimination of the negative 
it must strive for positive achievement. Okay, so you have the removal of the contamination in the first period, but then you have the purification that also comes, which is more of a, a rising attainment in that second period. But then it goes on to say, one is not completely cleansed until one has come to the resting place of God's presence with an offering that represents atonement for the past and dedication for the future. Right. So these comments fall right in line with the, with this process that's laid out for the cleansing of the woman after childbirth, where she has the negative removed through contamination. And then there's the striving for positive achievement through this this purification period and then ultimately coming into God's presence with an offering and atonement. And then also it's a, a dedication going forward of of one's life uh, in given service to the Lord. So and that that period and this this theme we'll we'll see continually repeated throughout throughout the message today. When I when I first read through this, I was thinking about the parable of the talents that Yeshua spoke about in Matthew twenty five. Now in the in the parable that Yeshua gave, he was speaking of a landowner who gave who was about to go on a journey and he gave to each of his servants a different amount of money, a different number of talents. And then when he returned, they came and presented before him what they had done with the monetary resources that he had given them. And uh, those who were given more had gone out and multiplied theirs. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, enter into your master's joy. You know, you'll be given, you'll be given more because you were faithful in a little. But then there was one servant who took what he was given and buried, buried the resources. And so when Yeshua came back or when the master came back and said, what have you done? He said, hey, here are your resources. You know, I haven't lost a single thing. And the master calls him an unfaithful servant because he should have at least gone out and placed those that money or those resources in, in such a way that they would have gained interest. So I was thinking about what that what that person did is they removed the negative because they removed the possibility of losing the resources that they were given, but they didn't do anything to strive for the positive attainment that would come through the increase, through the beneficial use of those resources. And so when we think about, you know, what we've been given, you know, what is it that we do with it? Do we just uh, strive to remove the negative or prevent the negative, or do we actually move forward as well into uh, into the positive production of things. Like if you think about the spiritual transformation that we go through, it's like we we seek to eliminate negative uh, negative things like anger and uh, you know various aspects of that, right? But then what do we fill ourselves back up with? I mean, we can't just be a void, right? We have to then fill ourselves up with the things of the spirit and the fruits of the spirit. And that's the positive achievement that we strive on toward. So moving on from there, we continue on within our portion, and we're going to come into a, a, it's a different type of contamination, but it's similar in its process, where we're going to be looking at Sara'at, which is a leprosy. And though it's different, there's still the aspect of a contamination or a sickness that that starts out and then there's a 
removal of the contamination or a quarantine of it that leads to then, which is, is to lead into a process of there actually being a cure or a purification from the sickness. And then ultimately the purpose being to bring restoration and bring the person who had been put into quarantine back into the presence of the Lord. Hey, Chris. Yes. Could you say real briefly why a woman who had uh, just given birth would be considered contaminated? And why would she would have to bring a sin offering? No, I, I didn't go into that. But uh, briefly on that, so the, the sages have a few different ideas of, of what it could be. Um, a couple of them thrown out there are, you know, the sin offering is brought for something that, that a sin that may have been uh accidentally committed like for well any sin offering of course is for accidental uh accidental sin or unintentional sin it's never for an intention it's never for intentional or purposeful sin so in this case if a woman had sinned unintentionally during the childbirth process then the sin offering could be brought for that so while that may or may not be uh the reason that is one that is put out there. Another is the idea that um, we're going through cycles of life. And when a child is born, you know, a new life has come forth, but that life will ultimately end in death. And so there is a contamination associated with it. And so that could be another reason to bring the sin offering. The purification offering is to cleanse from that eventual death. Um but anyway, I don't, I don't have a, a good answer for it, but those are a couple of things that are a couple of ideas that have been put out for why a sin offering would be brought. The other thing is, is that a sin offering is not always for sin. A sin offering might also be considered a purification offering for the exact case of this, um, where they're being cleansed for the blood. Um, and I believe there's a couple other cases where a sin offering is bought, brought more for the purpose of purification as opposed to uh, be as a result of a sin being carried out. Okay. Hey, Chris, this yeah. is Rachel. I had one more question for you, too. Why was the length of period of purification longer for a girl than it was for a boy? That's a good question, too. So... There's a, a couple of a uh, couple of viewpoints on that as well. I think there's always a couple of, of viewpoints, but that's a good thing, right? Now, so one of the ideas is that um, wow, I was talking to Stephen Hernandez about this a little bit yesterday. There's there's some uh, mystical associations with the numbers and and how it plays out. I don't know it well enough to explain here, so I'm going to skip over that actually. But one of the things that's spoken of is that the purification time is longer for the girl for giving, for giving birth to a daughter because women have the ability to bring forth life. And so there's a greater anointing or a greater blessing on that life, a greater time of purification as well to go along with it. Now, not, not that that life is greater or more important, but just that the potential for life and bringing forth more also necessitates a greater period of, of purity. Um, on the other side, uh, some some have said that it's that the the time period would have been the same for both, 
but in order for the male to be able to be circumcised on the eighth day and for the mother to be a part of that process, the days were cut short for for the period of uh, contamination and purification for the male, right? Because after seven days, uh, the woman is cleansed of the contamination and can now be part of the Brit Mila or the circumcision ceremony. So again, I don't, I don't have really, uh, I don't have great answers there, but those are the answers that I know. of. I thought that was great. Thank you. That's perfect. Okay, great. Um, okay. So, so what we have, okay. Moving into the, the Tzara'at. Okay. We're going to go to Leviticus one. Leviticus 13, 1 through 3 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has swelling on the skin of his body, or a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes the plague mark of Tzara'at in his flesh, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest is to examine the plague of Tzara'at on his skin, and if the hair in the plague has turned white, and the appearance of the plague is deeper than the body's skin, it is the plague of Tzara'at. Thus the Kohen shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Okay. Now, this Tzara'at is often translated as leprosy. Okay. And, but the problem with calling it leprosy is that today we think of the disease of leprosy, which is known as Hansen's disease, where uh, people's body parts are um, decaying and, and falling off and things like that. It's a, it's a, it's a physical disease that uh, does require, well, anyway, it's, it's just, it's not the same thing as, re, as described in the Bible here. And what one would think that, okay, if there's this disease that is on the body and it requires quarantine as described here in the Bible, then you would think it's a contagious disease, like that's a, a just a physical virus or some, a virus that manifests in this way. But the sages did not teach that this was a normal virus type of disease, but rather one that is a result of divine punishment and is a spiritual malady that has now taken on uh, manifestation in the physical body of the one who has the spiritual um spiritual a spiritual disease or spiritual problem now there's there's a few reasons for this and and we'll go into a couple of those but but one thing that shows up here in the scripture is that a person who has this disease is supposed to come to the priest and the priest looks at him and declares that either he has it or he doesn't there's a process that they go through to determine okay is this really sarah or is it not but if the priest does not declare the person as having tzara'at, then the person doesn't have it. Even if everyone else can look and say, no, 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 he really has this disease. Okay. But he's not unclean unless the priest actually says, no, you're unclean. So does that make sense? So like if, if say he's on his way to see the priest and he touches five people, they're all fine. They're, they don't become unclean as a result of touching this essentially dead man walking. But then once he comes to the priest and the priest looks at him and says, no, you have it. Now you're unclean. Now, if he touches anyone, 
then they also become unclean. So the the thing the uh, the distinction there wasn't about well the distinction actually happens when the declaration is made by the priest that he has the disease. Now he becomes contagious. It's an interesting aspect. But then additionally, when we look at if if you read through all the details of how you identify uh, the issue, like what they do is they first they say, okay, I'm not sure if this is really the disease or not. Then what they would do is they would mark it out and say, here's the extent of where the disease is. Now, for seven days, you be quarantined. And then after that, I'll look again. And if the disease is spreading, then yes, it's Sara'at and now you're unclean. But if it's not spreading, then then you're you're then it's not the disease and you're still okay. But the scripture goes to say in Leviticus 13, 12 through 14, it says, suppose that the tzara'at breaks out above the flesh and so far as it all appears in the eyes of the priest, covers all the skin of the infected person from his head to his feet, then the priest will see and behold, if the tzara'at has covered all of his body, he is to pronounce him clean of the plague. Since it has all turned white, he's cleaned. But whenever raw flesh appears upon him, he will be unclean. Okay, see, that defies all logic, right? Because if someone has the disease and it's spread over their entire body, then to me that seems as though they would really need to be quarantined because their disease is severe. But that's just not, that's the paradox here, right? It, that's not what the scripture says. Some, something has changed in the person such that they are actually clean now that the whole disease covers the whole body. Interesting, right? Um, but then the same uh, with regard to a house in Leviticus 14. This is another example. It says the priest is to, okay, so if, if the disease is found in a house or a structure, then the person is told to go to the Kohen and have the Kohen come to his house to take a look and say, all right, is this actually Tzara'at or is it not? So the Kohen, before he comes, he orders the house emptied before he goes in to examine the mark so that nothing in the house might be made unclean. Then afterward, the Kohen enters and inspects the house. Now, <clears throat> if he comes into the house and he finds that Sara'ad is in the building, he declares it unclean, and everything in the house is also unclean. But notice what he what he said is, take everything out of the house before the declaration is made so that it doesn't become unclean. Again, it's when the, de- when the declaration is made, that's when everything becomes unclean. Whereas if we're thinking about a virus, then whatever was in the house before he said the word versus after would be no different as far as its contamination capability. So anyway, just a couple of things. It's interesting. So again, this this all lends to the idea that this is really um, a spiritual issue that has come forward. And then the, the contamination, this is a spiritual contamination. Once they've been declared to have this, this problem, now it's contagious from this uh, to an additional level to those who would be around. So the person who has it is then sent out from the camp and does not come into contact with anyone else for the, for the, you know, to prevent the spread of this issue. 
Now, so what causes, you know, what, what are the spiritual maladies that, that cause Sarah? Well, traditionally, the, the primary case is through evil speech or Lashan Hara, the evil tongue, right? And there are some others within, within the biblical context where people did receive or had leprosy as a result of various sins, but the evil speech is the primary one that is, that is taught on. And often people look to the story of Miriam when she and Aaron slandered Moses in the wilderness and Miriam became leprous. Now, of course, Moses interceded for her and she was healed. But that's, that's, the, that's the strongest association with this. And if you recall from last week's discussion, Yeshua spoke about what defiles a man is actually what comes forth from his heart. And let me get back to this. Nope, sorry. Let me get back to the right place. Here we go. Haha. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, he says, The things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and those things make the man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that make the man unclean, but to eat with unwashed hands does not make the man unclean. So Yeshua is talking about the heart that brings forth uh, these spiritual maladies that's what makes a person unclean. And that, and in this case, those would that slander would be the thing that then brings forth the condition that could lead to tsara'at. It's not that every, not that every uh, word of slander spoken would then result in it, but that it's, it appears to have been um, something that, that would have been built up and then, then proceeds forth into a physical manifestation of the problem. Now, speaking of the tongue, I mean, that in itself can be an entire message about how critical it is that we guard our tongues and that we, that we don't speak negative of one another. You know, James, in the brother of Yeshua, in, in James chapter 3, speaks of the tongue being a fire and that that fire can set a whole forest ablaze. And he speaks on how difficult it is for a man to tame his tongue. And that the same tongue that blesses God and curses our neighbor, it should, it should not be that way, right? That, that we are to bridle our tongue, that we're to bring it under control such that it does not bring destruction and death either to us or to our neighbor and those around us, right? Now, according to the sages, the house that becomes leprous becomes leprous because of the words that are spoken in it. Right, because we mentioned earlier that within our portion, scripture says that a person can have sara'at, garments can have it, and also homes can have it. Now, a house and a garment cannot sin; they cannot slander. Right. So, how is it that they can get this spiritual contamination? And it's it's from those who have come into a contact with it. It's from the words that are spoken in the house, from the the person who has let this run in their in their body, in their spirits, and then being transferred into those objects. Um, Daniel Lancaster comments that when we engage in evil speech, 
we and the members of our house, those who hear that evil speech, are actually the victims, even if we're not the ones that are being slandered, right? It's because what's happening is that there is a really a spiritual calamity taking place within us when we utter evil speech because we're opening ourselves up to a critical spirit and we're operating in that critical spirit, allowing it to root and grow and fester within us. So it's conditioning our minds to find fault. It's conditioning our minds to really judge ourselves better than others in many, in many dimensions. And that ends up being a root of bitterness that grows and grows within us and in others around us. Right. And that's why it's even so, so dangerous to be in the company of a gossip or, or a slanderer. Right. Uh, Paul says, you know, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's because it's a decaying and defiling thing to be in the presence of evil and slanderous speech. It puts a stain on us. And one of the one of the quotes that Daniel Lancaster noted was that one could say that the very walls of your house absorb the evil spiritual energy you are creating such that the entire house becomes defiled. Right. We are living vessels. Right. We're capable of, of housing evil or of housing the holy. Right. And the, and the glorious presence of the Lord. But we have to tame our tongue we have to break the habit of engaging in these uh in these activities such that the spirit can fully move within us and that streams of righteousness can stream forth from us so that that which is good comes forth right the overflow of the heart the mouth will speak well what is the overflow of our heart going to be if we're continually filling it with things that are negative or evil or being filled or impacted by those things. So, so we have to root them out and then we have to fill ourselves up with that, which is good such that life can come forth from our words. Right. And again, it's not just a removal of the negative. It's about then striving for the positive as well. Cause you break the habit of speaking negative words. Well, how do you turn from that? What's what's the opposite of speaking neg- negative words? Well, it's speaking life. Instead of judging with a critical spirit, it's about judging our neighbor favorably and with compassion and with righteousness, right? So it's not just breaking the habit. It's establishing a new habit as well. Okay. Now, continuing on, once, once someone is found to have tzara'at, then again, they're, they're excommunicated from the, the community for the purpose of not defiling others and for the purpose of their own restoration. Okay. And let's see. We're going to go to Leviticus 13.45. Scripture says, The one with Sarah who has the plague mark shall wear torn clothes, The hair of his head is to hang loose. He is to cover his upper lip and cry unclean, unclean. All the days during which the plague is on him, he will be unclean. He is unclean. He is to dwell alone. Outside the camp will be his dwelling. Okay. So the the separation 
is a quarantine. And the quarantine is not intended to be perpetual, right? Once he's quarantined, the goal is not for the the leper or the metzora to be out forever, but rather for ultimately the purpose that's stated here in the Torah is for this person to be restored back into the community, even though he's been removed. And within this, this person who has slandered others and exalted themselves essentially and put themselves in a high position, bringing others lower, is now himself brought low such that he can identify with the sufferings of others and be humbled to the point where he would repent. And then from that place of repentance, then the cure and the healing becomes possible. And during that time of separation, there's isolation, a complete removal, a, a humbling, a, a hurting. There becomes a longing in the person to be restored back into community, right? And if you think about where we are today with everyone in, in their homes and our our societies on lockdown, you know, the, the longing to be together is increasing, right? And so it's the same, that that longing um, can lead to repentance. Even in this time when we're in isolation, let's say that the isolation isn't because of any exact uh, sin that we may have committed, but there's still a repentance that can be going on in our hearts and a preparation and a purification in preparation for the return out of quarantine and into being together. And I, and during our, during worship today, and I was just thinking about how glorious it's going to be for us all to be back together, singing in the same place. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to that and being able to give hugs, assuming those are going to be allowed and all that. <laughs> Uh, one step at a time, one step at a time. But again, so the quarantine is intended to bring the person out of their illness. So what is it that's going to happen? Well, the cure for for the person in isolation who's been sent out there because of Lashon Hara or some other spir spiritual malady, the purpose or the cure is repentance. Okay, and I was I was uh, looking at the concept of repentance and teshuva. Well, so the the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. Okay, or teshuva is the word that is often translated as repentance, but teshuva in itself, it's the root of that word is return, and so repentance or teshuva, is really not just about stopping doing something or like recognizing that you've done something wrong, wrong and stopping it. It's about stopping, turning around, and returning back to your original state before you fell and went the wrong way. So teshuva or repentance, again, isn't just about removing the negative. That's one step. But then it's turning back to and then seeking the positive and actually returning back to the state you were in, which is going back into a righteous state. Now, if I want to take a look at a few verses from Ezekiel 18. 
giving an idea of how the Lord is looking at sin and how he's desiring repentance. 18 verses 21 through 23 says, But if the wicked turns from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my laws and does what is lawful and right, he will surely live. He will not die. None of his transgressions that he committed will be remembered. Because of his righteousness that he practiced, he will live. Do I delight in at all in the death of the wicked? Is the declaration of the Lord. Rather, should he not return from his ways and live? And again, in Ezekiel 18, 30 through 32, Therefore I will judge you, house of Israel, each one according to his ways. It is a declaration of the Lord. Return and turn away from all your transgression, so that they would not be a stumbling block of iniquity for you. Cast off from you all the transgressions that you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. It is a declaration of the Lord. So return and live. Okay. And this this is the Lord's desire. I mean, that, that whole chapter, Ezekiel 18, is speaking of um, how the, the sins of the father don't, don't fall on the son and the sins of the son don't fall to his father, that each one will be held accountable for their own actions. And it goes through and, and again, over, you know, multiple times, it says those who will walk in righteousness will live, but they, those who walk in wickedness would, would perish. But God calls the wicked to repent and turn from their ways because it's never the de- God's desire that someone would die in their wickedness, but they would all repent and live. And part of that repentance, as we just read about, was walking in the ways of the Lord and casting off all the ways of iniquity that are stumbling blocks to our ability to walk with the Lord. So this goes right back to what we talked about of breaking the habit of evil speech, right? And then turning from that critical spirit and walking in righteousness, speaking speaking life, you know, through grace, love, and compassion. Consider that, you know, God will turn the turn death to life in that situation we'll think about even if even if let's say you've been uh careless with your words or you've been practicing slander in your homes and the walls of your homes have absorbed that evil energy well that energy can be cast out and new life imparted right if 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 words of slander can bring forth an evil impact when how much more could the words of life breathed by the spirit, you know, bring life and energy back into your home and environment? It's, it's restoration. I mean, God can transform whatever it is, but it's going to take partnership for us to identify the issue, turn from it, and then begin to walk in the ways of righteousness and see that transformation take place. Right. It's what I'm talking about is, is a difficult thing to do. Right. Because we all have various challenges that we face and difficulties, whether it's with a spouse or with children or work or a colleague or um, anything like that. Right. And in the moment of frustration and hurt or anger. It's way too easy to just speak out and, and give voice to. To what we're thinking. Right. But that's where we have to bridle that tongue. And we have to 
and then say, okay, no, how am I going to breathe life into this? Because it's words of life that will bring transformation for good. Okay. Words of slander are just things that bring forth death. Right. Um, we, we talked a little bit about this on Thursday night, just in, in how our words have power and impact. And it's just as, you know, when the Lord create, when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke it into existence. It was the power of his word, right? Um, and all things were created through the spirit. Well, if we have the spirit of God living within us and he's the one that brings forth, you know, fountains of living water, then that same kind of creative power of the word can actually come forth from us, right? So we need to, we need to bear that in mind uh, before we give correction or voice to the emotions that we're feeling. And I am preaching to myself. So, um, all right. So anyway, it's not too late to change, right? Not too late to change. Now, so you've got a, a, a leper. You've got a, a person who's been exiled because of the, the haughty spirit. Um, and they need healing, right? So they've, they've got the possibility of repentance and being restored. And, but then all, then you also have the, what about prayer? What about the laying out of hands to, to heal, um, to heal? Well, one, I guess a, a leper isn't really to be touched, right? They're, they're treated as though they're a corpse, like a dead man walking. But in the scriptures, Yeshua healed lepers. And, that's really significant because there were, were four types of miracles that were expected to be done by the Messiah that weren't done by others. One of which was the healing of a leper. Um, others were uh, uh, casting out a dumb spirit, a mute spirit. Um, another was uh, raising the dead after, after three days and now I'm not remembering what the fourth one was, but there is a fourth one. And anyway, but so the idea that Yeshua was was healing the lepers was a was one of the signs of him being Messiah. Now I'm going to jump to Mark one. Mark one verses forty through forty four. Say okay, so now. This I'm reading here from the book of Mark. In the book of Matthew, Yeshua has just come down from from the from uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Beatitudes. And anyway, but now he's coming down. <clears throat> and the scripture here says, "A man with sorrow comes to him, begging him and falling on his knees, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean.' Moved with compassion, Yeshua stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said, "I am willing. Be cleansed." Immediately, the sorrow left him, and he was cleansed. Yeshua sent him away at once, sternly warning him, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Then for your cleansing, offer what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, so you see here in verse 41, he said, Be cleansed, and, and it, the scripture says he was cleansed. Then Yeshua says, Now go to the priest and offer what Moses has commanded for your cleansing. It's interesting, right? Because the scripture said that when Yeshua healed him, he was cleansed, but now he's also saying, go to the priest for your cleansing and make these offerings. And it was as a testimony to them. Now, one, 
Yeshua was saying, be faithful to the, the commands of the Torah and carry out what is what is commanded. But then he adds on as a testimony to them, as a testimony to the priesthood that they had been cleansed by Yeshua, right? So interesting. Um, all right, but now we see Yeshua bringing forth healing. And now the healing has taken place. They've been cleansed. But Yeshua says, go and make your offering so that you will be cleansed. So there's an additional part of the cleansing process, right? So once healed, he goes, presents himself to the priest, because unless the priest declares him to be clean, he remains unclean. Um, so remember what we said earlier. We said that one is not completely cleansed until one has come to the resting place of God's presence with an offering that represents atonement for the past and dedication for the future. Same thing here. So in Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 11, we're getting to the point where now someone has been cleansed. What do they do? Starting in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the Torah of the one with Tzara'at in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest is to go to the to the outside of the camp. The priest is to examine him, and behold, if the mark of Tzara'at is healed in the one with Tzara'at, then the Kohen is to command that the two clean living, er, is to command that two clean living birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop be brought for the one being cleansed. The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in a clay pot over living water. As for the living bird, he is to take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them with the living bird into the blood of the bird that was killed over the living water. He is to sprinkle on the one being cleansed from the tzara'at seven times and pronounce him clean, then release the living bird over the open field. The one to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water. Then he shall be clean. After that, he may come into the camp, but is to dwell outside his tent for seven days. Then on the seventh day, he is to shave all his hair from his head, his beard and his eyebrows. He must shave off all his hair. He is to wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Then he will be clean. On the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs without blemish, a one-year-old ewe lamb without blemish, three-tenths of a pint of fine flour as a grain offering mingled with oil and a pint of oil. The priest who cleanses him is to set the man who is to set the man who is to be cleansed among all those um, along with all those items before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay. All right, so that's that's the process of the cleansing that is to take place. Now, within this, there's additional imagery about about the Messiah and the cleansing that takes place through him. Now, you noted from the passage that we read, there were there were two birds, and then there was the, the pot filled with the living water. The one bird was to be killed over, over the pot and the blood to go into it. And then you take the hyssop, the cedar, the scarlet wool, and the live bird, dip them in to the blood, and then you let the, the live bird go free. Well, in the mystical writings, uh, one of the names of Messiah is Sipor, which is bird. Okay, um, and looking at the commentary about this cleansing process, there's there 
multiple times it's mentioned that these two birds represent the two messiahs, the Messiah son of, of Joseph who would suffer and the Messiah son of David who would reign. And even in commentaries uh, from about 500 years ago, there's commentary that, that those two birds, those two messiahs are really one individual, right? Which of course we know that one individual to be our Messiah Yeshua, right? Who, who came as a man, who died and was resurrected and that he will return um, already having suffered as the Messiah son of Joseph and then he will reign as the Messiah son of David. But within this, you, you have the one bird, again, the first bird that is killed is representative of the Messiah son of Joseph, um, whose blood is in the, the clay pot with the living water, you know, the living water, Holy Spirit, and then the blood of, of this man in, in a pot, right? So you've got the, the death of, of the one that became flesh. And then you have from that, you have the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet wool, which all point back to uh, the cross and the way that Yeshua died. And those together with the live bird are dipped into the blood. And then the live bird is set free in the open. Okay, so it's the rebirth of the bird, right? Um, and such, it's a picture of the resurrection. And, and so it's really neat. Now, then what happens is they take that blood, the, the blood of the one that had died, and they sprinkle the man with Sara'at seven times. It's, it's completion. You know, seven is the number of completion. And it's that sprinkling with that blood in the water, right, that, that brings forth the, the cleansing for him. Now, after that, there's a seven-day period where the person is able to come back into the camp, but he's told to dwell outside of his tent for a seven-day period, another period of purification, and then he's to bring offerings there at the temple. And he brings a guilt offering, a sin offering, and an elevation offering. But the, the thing that stood out to me on that is that after the seventh day, on the eighth day, he comes with the he comes to the the sanctuary right and the priest stands him before the lord is what the scripture said so the priest presents him to the lord along with his sacrifices and now he's he's completely cleansed and restored and within that i can't help but again see the restoration of all things right you have the completion of the 7000 years and you have your new beginning right with the eighth the eighth day the new beginning it's a picture of the final judgment when we're brought before the lord and yeshua stands as our as our high priest and intercessor and we're declared clean before the lord like we're cleansed now through the blood of yeshua through our faith and and walking that out with him but there's another cleansing there's a, this this other cleansing that comes at the end of the age before we move into the world to come. And can you imagine standing there before the throne in the presence of the Lord? I when I was when we were seeing how great thou art earlier, that's what I was imagining. You know, how what emotion, what what will be overcoming us? What will be what will we be overwhelmed with? It's such a glorious, glorious thought. Glorious thought, but that's that's the goal here that's that's taking place. 
throughout this whole process, right? There's a contamination, there's a separation, a quarantine or a judgment because of the contamination and the sin, but then there's an answer, there's a cure, there's a purification process that is laid out for us and repentance, all of it ultimately having the the goal of bringing restoration, bringing us back into alignment and into right standing with the Lord. And so this is this is the process of our lives, right? By faith in Yeshua, we become a new creation. <clears throat> we receive forgiveness through our repentance and we're being cleansed. We've been cleansed and we have right standing with God. You know, that's a picture of justification. But then there's the process of purification that takes place. That's the process of sanctification, right? As we grow in the spirit and grow in righteousness and, and in maturity, pressing on to not just the removal of the contamination, but then the, the pressing higher into the things of the Lord, all with this goal of the, the final redemption with, uh, with our Savior Yeshua as King, right? Um, so it's a, it's a really... It's a great thing to, to think of. And and again, you know, I spoke about how a house can absorb spiritual negativity, but it can conversely have, uh, you know, the light of the spirit shining in it. Well, the, the same thing with us, right? If, if our sin can result in physical maladies, well, also our wa- walking in righteousness can, can result in light shining forth through us, right? Um, you know, Moses had been in the presence of the Lord and, and his face shone. Yeshua at the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he shone as light, right? And that's what we want to see, right? We want to see, we want to see the light of Yeshua shining in us and through us, right? That others may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So, you know, it's kind of circling back with, what proceeds out of the mouth defiles because it reveals what's in the heart. Well, the overflow of the, our heart, the mouth will speak. And so may good things come forth from our mouth. Um, James 3.18 says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? So may the words of our mouth and our actions and our attitudes sow peace as we are people of peace um, from the great gifts that we've been given through Yeshua. So, amen. Does anybody else have any any comments or thoughts that you'd like to make? <clears throat> I did have a, a couple things. Um, so one more thing I was thinking about with uh, this whole ritual with the two birds and specifically the the living water and the blood, you know, being put into the jars of clay and we're referenced as jars of clay in the scriptures, right? Where we come from the dust and we're these earthen vessels, but yet we hold the living water, the spirit and the blood. And I just thought that was a really cool picture as well. Um, and also uh, when you mentioned the four different aspects, um, you said you can remember the fourth of, of, you know, things that the Messiah would come and do in his ministry. Um, I just, it made me think of, of Matthew 10, uh, 10, seven through eight. And I feel like that's what Yeshua is referencing when he says, and as you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely. You have received freely give. So he mentions these four things. 
I don't know if those directly correlate. Uh, sounds pretty close to the uh, to the four, um, and maybe driving out demons is the fourth um, you weren't thinking of there. I'm not sure, but I just think that's that's really cool that that was the ministry of Messiah, the spirit of Messiah in him doing those things, and he gave that ministry to his disciples and to us, and that also in uh, Bill mentioned John 14, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, but you know, that anyone who has faith in me, Yeshua says, will be, will do what I've been doing and he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. You may ask anything in my name and I'll do it. So just thinking about this ministry and these things, it's Yeshua's desire, you know, to heal all of the sick, to, to bring the fullness of the kingdom and when he was on earth, he was in one place at one time, right? And he's saying, it's better that I go. Not that, you know, it's better that he's away, but it's better because that spirit then was released in fullness to, you know, to all of his disciples to walk in um, and to, to walk in this ministry that the Messiah had on earth. We get to, to take part in that and to bring that to, to every nation, to every tribe, to every people. Um and so I was just thinking about that in reference to, I, I hadn't heard that before that the sages taught that the Messiah would do these four things, but I, I thought it was pretty cool that Yeshua mentions them. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Very good. Uh, can I make a comment? Sure. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, when you were talking about Leviticus 14, now that's really, really awesome. Um, in the, and the way it's associated with Christ. But I was looking at this and thinking, you know, Jesus came and he had to put on the suit of man, which was already contaminated like leprosy. But even though he left his throne in glory, he disrobed himself from holiness, partially, I guess you could say, put on the robe of man, which was contaminated by Adam. And he had to fulfill the works of the Father, showing that we can live sinless through him. And so because of his sacrifice, he gave us the right to be uncontaminated and uh, be fulfilled, whereas we don't have to go and get the doves and get the birds and do all that sacrificing because Christ already became that for us. And so he fulfilled that scripture, if that makes any sense. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Irene. Um, yeah, the... Uh, you know, when we look at the work of Yeshua, you know, he's completed everything we need to be able to come into the presence of God and the world to come. Um, and he still calls us forth to walk according to his words, which his words are upholding the Torah of Moses and all that it contains. And, you know, until we uh, leave this body, until we leave this world, we continue to uphold the words of Torah and the words of Yeshua always looking to him as the one who completes our all of our spiritual needs and brings us where we are and so yeah he he fulfills all that we need in that dimension Amen. In, the, in the book of acts we also see um all bringing the same offerings in regards to uh the tor the, the the dove and the, the shaving of the head as a completion of his vow uh, of his Nazarene vow um, we also have to remember the the ritual impurity is in relation to uh, going into the temple, uh, not necessarily having 
or being distant or disconnected from God, but it's, it's, it's a matter of uh, being ritually pure or impure in regards to approaching the temple because the physical manifestation of God's presence was in there. Um, so everything that it was uh, unclean was because of his holiness, it will reveal itself. Nothing was hidden in the presence of God, in the physical manifestation of God's presence. So we're not necessarily talking about um, being sinful and thus bringing a sacrifice, but um, more of, a, uh, of, of, of drawing near to God in, in the physical state while in a physical uh, body. We're still in this body. That's what Paul writes in Romans, that our bodies are still uh, you know, growing for redemption, that the earth is also growing for uh, growing for, for redemption and, and looking forward for the change in the in the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of this world that will be uh, uh, that will be transformed in a, in a, in a, in a physical state that will be acceptable to God's presence. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's a key is that there's a difference between the spiritual sacrifices and the physical sacrifices. In this world, if we're to be coming into the presence of God, there have to there has to be blood that would allow us to do that. Now there's no temple, so it's not even an issue right now, but in the days when a temple stands, then sacrifices still would exist, but they would have nothing to do with the what Yeshua has done and completed in the spirit. And, you know, just in speaking to the terms of, you know, if if one were declared, like if the temple were standing and the priesthood were in place and one was diagnosed with Sarah and was put out of the camp and repented or and was healed, even, you know, healed by prayer and the power of Yeshua. Right. They would still bring the offerings to the temple because that's what the Torah of Moses commands. It would not have to do with their eternal salvation or with what Yeshua has already accomplished. It's about the laws of how this world operates until this world passes away. And so um, the, the, completed, the completed work of Yeshua is different than the, the offerings made in the temple and uh, commanded by the Torah of Moses. Um, they operate in a different sphere uh, and they're not opposed to one another. Um, and again, is is the the primary purpose here of the offerings is for the restoration of relationship, drawing close to the Lord. Um, anyway, that's that's that would require again a much longer discussion. But one one thing uh, I just pulled up my uh, chat area because I'm not really able to read that during the uh, teaching, but. There was a question posed of well, how do you cleanse a house of evil speech? Well, back in the day when it was found to have had Sara'at, then that the house would actually be destroyed and all the stones taken outside the camp. But um, within the aspect of you know the the cleansing of a, a house today of evil speech. Um, well, one, okay, so there's there's a few practices that I, I think are great to do um, with one, just the cleansing of your land and your property. And there's the aspect of, uh, well, 
some things that we've done before is we've, we've taken communion at all the four corners of our land, right? And we've gone through it. Uh, before we did that, we spent time in prayer of repentance over the land of things that we've done in the home, on the land, um, of things that were done by people uh, who had been on the land or in the home before us, um, just praying according to whatever the Spirit would show us, right? And then going through and and having communion and reclaiming and redeeming the land, declaring it to be set aside for God's purposes, and then going through the home and anointing it uh, with cedar oil and with um, hyssop hyssop oil, and uh, just praying over all the rooms just for restoration, redemption, for a cleansing. And it's kind of like it's it's a new start. It's a cleansing. It's a it's a thing that's done. It's a spiritual activity, but it's essentially it's a reclaiming the ground for the purposes of good, and then practicing good within that, and you know, speaking words of life, and no longer walking in 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 slander. I mean that that would be the idea of, of the cleansing, and even if you didn't do all those things, but, but rather even just did the repentance from slander and began to speak words of life and no longer speak the other, then that in itself is going to bring a, a restoration and a renewal. Um, ben, I see your hands up. Hey, so my question I have for you is, so on the Sarah, I'm trying to figure out how does that apply to today as well too, because I would, assume that that is still happening to this day in some form or fashion and that trying to figure out how to i guess identify that if that's something that you know even if you as your me as myself i'm doing or you know how to you know i'm just trying to avoid those things as well on that one because uh I guess that's my question is trying to figure out how do you identify that as in today's society as well too. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So in today's society, technically no one has Sara'at because there is no temple. There is no priesthood. No priest can actually declare that someone has it and therefore no one has it. But like, so, but then, okay, could the malady actually exist? such that everyone looking at it knows it, but just the priest hasn't said anything, so it's not official. Uh, sure, that's quite possible. Now, um, you know, who's going to go? To me, it's not about going and looking at the physical uh, manifestation to figure out. Instead, what I think the practical application is today is to understand that these spiritual maladies can result in physical manifestations, right? That there's a connection here between between the spiritual and the physical. And that we need to be searching our hearts and, and going before the Lord, because, you know, who best can can tell us that we have a spiritual malady that needs to be healed other than the spirit of God. Right. And so so we pray and we ask the Lord to reveal to us what is in our hearts. What are the things that we need to uh, be turning from or laying down? What are the things that are hindering us? from being able to walk in repentance, from being able to walk in his righteousness. And so I think there's an, there's a prayerful introspection today 
that, that we should be engaging in and surrendering those areas to the Lord so that we're renewing our hearts. You know, like in Ezekiel, it said, give yourself a new heart and a new spirit, right? And walk in my ways and cast away the things that cause you to stumble. Um, I, I think that's the application for today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Leslie. Yes. Uh, it was really interesting that you bring up about, you know, cleansing the home and praying over the home because we recently made the move out here. We're still working on our property, but we've got about close to six acres. And so last Shabbat, so, that's, huh? What? Seven acres. Right. That's right. Anyway, last Shabbat, we um, put together uh, four little, we call them time capsules. They're, um, PVC. PVC pipe and we put scriptures inside and sealed them up. We painted little menorahs on them and we p walked around the property and we posted one on each corner of the property and we prayed over the property. We had a prayer. We cleansed the land. We came in and we prayed over the home and each one of the rooms over our vehicles, over our finances. And um, the first time capsule had uh, the Ten Commandments in it. The second one had the Shema in it. The third one had uh, prayers of uh, scriptures of protection, a lot of the Psalms. Um, Isaiah 32, 18 through 20 was a Psalm that we had, uh, or excuse me, a, a scripture that God had given us many years ago that I believe has saved us from many catastrophes that have gone through our neighborhood and it's my people shall live in peaceful dwelling places in undisturbed places of rest though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely my people will be blessed sowing their seed by every seed and letting their cattle and donkeys range free so uh, psalm 91 was another one and then on the fourth uh corner we placed the ironic blessing so this past week, and I felt an urgency in our spirits to get out and do this last Saturday. So this past week, that terrible tornado went through on Alaska, which killed three people and damaged 170, destroyed 173 homes. Five miles east. Of and just like five to ten miles east of us. And nothing here. Like, I mean, we didn't even get a drop of rain. The, the power surged a little bit, and we heard the fire engines and everything going towards that area. Didn't even know what had happened till later that night when we turned the news on. So I just believe it's really important to, to pray over your land and your home and to cleanse it. And, yeah, so. Amen. Thanks for sharing that, Leslie. Yeah. Amen. Well, does anybody else have anything? Uh, and I know Jared is going to teach, uh, have, a, have a teaching here on the month of IR. Uh, but do anybody have anything that you want to say before he, he jumps in on that? Um, I will. I love what Michael was saying, how the picture of the jars of clay could be seen as us. And um, it says, like, out of our innermost bellies will flow rivers of living water once we're saved. And so... It's like we always have a source of new water, pure water coming inside of us with the Holy Spirit. 
And when we remember our salvation through the work, the blood of Yeshua, and we, and that remembering kind of like, just like communion, we remember it and it reapplies it over our hearts and in our lives, I think. And so if we ever feel impure or whatever, if we just remember his salvation and, and mix it with the living water, who's the Holy Spirit inside of us, then, and then I like the dove, if that's, you said that that was a name for the, the Lord, um, the bird. And he also said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so if we release life and truth, um, then we're actually like setting the bird or the truth and the life out free from us. And we're releasing it into the world. And that can go land on other people, on other places and release his way back to the father. So we have that opportunity to constantly be renewed and then keep releasing the life um, from within us. So I, I really like that picture. Yeah, that's, that's great, Christine. And, you know, as you were saying that, it made me think about how, um, you know, the, the sages teach that uh, a, the potential of a soul is limited while it remains in a human body because it can only go where the human body goes. But once it's freed from the flesh, then it can go all everywhere, right? And so you think about, you, you know, Yeshua, he said, it's greater that I go to the Father than that I stay here with you, right? Because, you know, once once he uh, once he went, he, he was able to send the Spirit throughout all, right? And so he was, the ministry of the Spirit of Messiah became much greater. And like you're saying, it, it spreads out. Yeah, it's really cool. Hey, Chris, it's Ben. Um, I was just sitting there thinking about the dove as well. And it just made me think of just again, back in Noah, when they were looking for that new start in the beginning of when the dove came with the olive branch as well, too. And even when uh, when Yeshua was baptized, and I think it says that the dove came and rested on him and the spirit of the Lord came and said that this is my son who I'm pleased with. And um I don't know. It's just one of those things where, again, you just see Christ through the whole scriptures and it's just a, it's a beautiful process. Yeah. Amen. There's a, I read a really great article that even talks a little bit about the dove coming to rest on Yeshua and even messianic expectation. Um, I'll have to post a link to it. It was a FFOZ article I had come across, but yeah, that's really good. I think we need to go to uh, Jared and and hear about the month of IR. All right. I think before I get to that, um, in reference to what we've just been talking about, I don't know if you've ever heard of David Van Coopering, um, but uh, he studied quantum physics. And it's very interesting. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but one of the things that he uh, shared in his study of quantum physics is that matter has memory. Um, and that uh, specifically when you go into homes, uh, it's so funny, just he talked about the homes, is that specifically when you go in the homes, every word that was spoken, every sound that was made um, is attached to the wood, the stone, the tile, and that room has memory of everything that has been spoken and done. And he spoke about that in more of um, a means to, you know, for uh, 
crimes that have been committed uh, for machines to be able to extract the the sounds and the, and the conversations and the of everything that went on to be able to help solve crimes that went went on in that but it made me remember too that as as agents of restoration uh, as you can call us with the spirit that we can go into those rooms and we can speak life that can undo or just cover and renew the the evil that had been spoken or the evil acts that had been done in that specific room in that specific house um, and in that in that specific area uh and so it's it's just amazing to know that um really too that when we speak uh and then you can go into a room you can you can be gone just the remnants of what was spoken in that room or in that house 15 20 years ago still has an effect and if it's evil it could still it can still continue to influence those that walk in there unless somebody comes in there and does away with it covers it with the blood speaks uh, a new fresh uh, anointing over that room but just the power that we have um, through the Holy Spirit to really renew um, and restore uh, land uh, houses uh, territory is however you want to say it but that's um it's very fascinating just to think that whatever you're speaking it's it's it's, it's there forever <laughs> it's there forever and to and to have a mindset of uh, wow matter has memory how crazy is that yeah that is crazy but you know one thing that's great too is like you said you know uh you can speak words of life on it and there's restoration and remember it's light casts out drives out darkness right so it's like the the words of life that are spoken are more powerful than the than the words of death right um and so yeah there's there is potential for restoration right god always provides the way uh, for restoration to take place. So, and when we talk about the month of ER, um, so ER means I am God, your healer. Um, and so it's, um, this is a month of, of, of blessings of, of disease prevention of an area of healing focused on bitterness and unforgiveness to be healed. Um, some of the actions needed during this month, I'm just going to go over some bullet lists and then I'll expand on some of this is a time to be still, um, to listen, um, and just an opportunity to get to know God at a more deeper, intimate level. Um, the warfare during this month, really what we need to do is guard against any distractions um, of the temporary circumstances uh, that could cause us to get downloads from God for more long-term strategies that God really wants to share with us here in this time. Um, if we look at, uh, let me see here. If we look at some of the activities that happened in the month of ER, um, of course, it falls in between Pesach and Shavuot. So every single day of this month, we are counting the Omer. Um, and so it's, the, it's right in between the month of great uh, redemption and great revelation. Um, and so it's a time of greater and every day as we count the months or count the days to that uh, revelation of of torah the revelation of the holy spirit coming on on the new on the believers um we get a greater revelation of who he is and so it's a time of 
of increase of knowledge, increase of revelation, increase of of understanding of God's of God's plan. Um, the month of ER is a time of you can talk about redemption or renewal. It's a time if you missed Passover the first time, you get to do it this month. <laughs> so um, it's an opportunity for those that missed Passover uh, to 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 be able to celebrate it this month on the 14th and 15th. Um, it is uh, go through here. Sorry, I'm just kind of scrolling through some of my notes. Um, it's the month. Uh, let me see here. Amalek. It was the war with Amalek, Israel's first national enemy. As they took place, it took place the month of Er, just before the revelation was given at Sinai. Also, uh, during the month of Er, during a second year after the Exodus, the Israelites began their travels through the desert with the newly completed uh, tabernacle. So, so they had that in their midst. Um, I want to go through though. Real quick, one thing, if there's one thing I can get a uh, takeaway, let me get back. If you go to 1 Kings uh, 6, chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, As it came to pass in the 480th year, after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, or Ziv, which is the second month, which is E-R, that he began to build the house of the Lord. So um, as we know, ER, it's a name that was given when they were in Babylonian captivity. Usually all the months of the names of, of, the, um, of the calendar come from that Babylonian captivity. Um, but every now and then you'll get a little nugget like that where you get uh, the name that, was ha that had, usually it's just the first month, the second month, the third month, the fourth month. But here it says the month of Ziv. Ziv in Hebrew means light. So it's also a month of light, which is revelation, which is where the importance of being still with God comes in, because then you allow his light to come in and shine. And also, and this is the most important part that I think I got from this, was that this was the month that Yeshua walked with his disciples after he rose from the dead. And what an opportunity. And, and to think about this, what was going on in First Kings there? which is the second month that he began what was solomon doing he began to build the house of the lord and this and i take that with with yeshua coming and walking with his disciples i don't think he was just making small talk i'm sure that was part of it but i'm sure he was building this church building the, uh, you know a house that um a special house a spiritual house uh, the foundation and so when i look at the time that Solomon would begin to build the house of the Lord during this month. It was the time that Yeshua began to speak even greater revelation, even greater knowledge to his disciples during this time. And when we look at that, it's a time to be still with God, to allow his light to come in and just illuminate things that we've never seen before in scripture, that we've never heard before, newer revelations. And we can build our own, uh, the house of the Lord, us, our bodies being a temple for us individually. Um, as our home, we can continue to build the house of the Lord uh, where it resides uh, physically in our home. And then us as a community, that we can continue to build upon the house of the Lord as a, as a, as a um, representative of his people, of his presence. Uh, and then worldwide, uh, I just, I can't wait.
till uh, yes, we're all one in, in spirit and purpose when it comes. But that was probably one of the, when I realized, it's like I quit taking notes after that. Look, that's even, that's the last bit of notes. <laughs> I just, I quit taking notes after that. And it was just something to just like, just think about um, Yeshua and, and what those conversations were like with his disciples before he ascended up into heaven. Amen. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for this time to be able to join together. Lord, to be able to uh, come into your presence. Lord, thank you for giving the way for us to, to, to draw near to you. And thank you for giving us a way that even in this time of isolation, that we can be together, Lord, one in spirit, that we can see one another, that we can share one another and grow in the word. Lord, I ask that you would bring a transformation in our hearts, Lord, that you would guide us by your spirit, that you would give us revelation of uh the transformation that you want to see in us, Lord, what do you want us to lay down? What do we need to, to, to change? What do we need to repent of and turn from that we may walk completely given to you and, and giving glory to you? I thank you that it's our desire or that you place this desire in us to seek you out um, and to be vessels of light. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you are able to do great and wondrous things with willing vessels. So may we just surrender our hearts and lives to you. May you uh, guide and direct us. We give you glory and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Mm-hmm.